drink? Yeah. These, uh, what are they called again? The cups? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that they're called anything. They're just, uh, they're like terracotta clay little uh, shot glasses, essentially. A little bigger than a shot glass. Um, I don't know if I told you guys, like, the backstory, but we I was in this Mexican restaurant. It was fucking awesome in Portland, Maine, two summers ago. And uh, it looked like nothing from the street, but people were like, you have to go there. So we go in, and it just opens up, and, you know, everything's there is, like, is like hills and stuff. So, like, it goes down, it opens up. It's a beautiful restaurant. You go outside, it's a gorgeous patio. And in the distance, you can see, like, the city and, like, the bay and everything. Cool. So I ordered the Mezcal flight, and they brought them. It wasn't exactly like this, but I couldn't find what they had. They 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 were, like, almost like tiny planters. Like, you'd put a flower in, but they, they were, you know, put Mezcal in it, and that was the flight. Like there was like four or five of them, so it's fucking awesome. So, yep, so I bought them. And dear listeners, welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic, where we are um, apologizing to everyone who speaks Spanish. Because <laughs> we don't. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't. But. We are here to talk about two things for this cast. We are starting with some Mezcal. Uh, if you are not familiar with what Mezcal is, it is a uh, cousin or a sibling to tequila, uh, but the agave is treated a little differently, and you get this very smoky, palatable flavor. And we're recording this in the fall, so A, we thought it was the perfect fall flavor, uh, and B, we're about to talk about Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill... And you know what? It's just fucking fantastic. I'm just looking at Mike's giant silver vibrating uh, <laughs> shaker thing that has like multiple attachments inside. <laughs> I had paused actually because I, I anticipated the ice shake ASMR. And then I was like, nothing came out of that glass whatsoever. So you, you didn't put the... Me- no, you couldn't put the mezcal in there because it's in my hand. Yes, the mezcal is unopened and in your hand. First I have <laughs> had zero drinks so far, y'all. So we are in for a treat tonight. Let me tell you that. We are definitely in for a Bluetooth treat tonight. Speaker shot. Oh, there we go. So um, let's get Mike pouring us um, the shots, the drinks, into the lovely terracotta um, cups that uh, he picked up for tonight. We appreciate that. Thank yeah. you very much, Mike. May I, I smell the cork, please? Yes, sir. It smells of I'll the beach. You, I'll let you hang out with there. this uh, massive silver bullet, too, when we're done here. Mm. That's, that's, I'm not going to touch that shaker ever. It does have a nice nose. No, it really does. Like if you, I thought you were being sarcastic, but if no. you smell the cork, you get. Sometimes I'm genuine. <laughs> Not often, but mm, sometimes. sometimes. I'm genuine. more disingenuine than genuine. <laughs> All right, here we go. ASMR. ASMR. Shake it. My ASMR. Shake it real good. So yeah, no, I smell. Um, you know, I don't know, like... It's like a... I want to say mesquite, but it's not mesquite. It's not mesquite, yeah. but at the same time, like, if you had just handed me this and said, smell this, I would have been like, oh, tequila. Yeah. Like, I would have I would have known it was tequila. Say when, sir. When? <laughs> I'll start with that. I'll start it. with that. You want to... Oh, there you are. Move me up, motherfucker. I like to, it. to savor that, because, you know, if I have three half glasses, it makes me feel like I had more than if I had one glass. There's plenty more, so don't be shy. These right. little things are outstanding. I, they're they fucking are. cool, aren't they? That is like the coolest they are, shit. They are literally 
terracotta pots. Yeah. Yeah, a little more. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, the only thing that sucks about this yeah. is I can't get these now because it'd be copying Mike. Yeah, well. Sean. Yeah, why just not? just a touch left. Might as well empty the silver bullet. Go to the last room. Yes, sir. All, All right. right. All right. I have never had Mezcal straight. Have you guys? No. Uh, the time that I was just describing. I think that might be it, honestly. All right. So I am looking forward to this experience. Yeah, I've cool. Only had another drinks. Let's do a clay cheers. Yes. Let's get the clay ASMR. It's very. <laughs> there oh, we yes, go. There I want to smash it. All cheers. Right. Cheers. Oh man, that is that is tasty. That mm. could be dangerous for me. Actually, yeah, I did not expect to like it straight as much as I do yeah. like it. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the salt in it for a little bit and let it... Yeah. 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 It's. I mean, it's the smokiness of it that reminds me of some of those Isla scotches. I mean, it mm. doesn't taste exactly like mm. that. It's You're sweeter. Right. But, like, yeah. some of that aftertaste, you know, is I'm, I'm, I'm tasting that and I'm thinking of, like, a Lafroig. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorites. It is yeah. interesting, like a scotch kind of analog in a way. And the, I was concerned that it was going to be overly smoky because some of, like, the mid-grade mezcals are like we just burnt the hell out of the agave good luck uh here's the pine resin right from it but it's only in the end that you get the smoke it's really interesting yeah yeah well and i like having a little bit of that salt that lingers there because after you you know swallow the mezcal then you get like that like savory salt in it you know yeah changes up the palate a little bit i could do that i could do this for sure yeah this is uh get a nice little you know that warm Mm -hmm. Feeling you get from like just like a good alcohol. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Very well acquainted with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I know what Bill was doing at the end of Kill Bill too. He yes. Was enjoying right this before, well. mm -hmm. right before he had to fight a duel that would decide his fate. He decided the thing to do was slam a bottle of tequila. You know, I mean, like a true boss. Yes. That's right. That's, that's why right. he's Bill. Well, we don't want to jump the shark too much, but listeners, we're gonna switch from. The, t the Mezcal over to the, the movie. We're talking Kill Bill. Are we going to do one and two simultaneously? We're going to do volume one. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. we're going to talk volume two. Yep. Okay. And then we're going to talk Inglorious Besters. Correct. Right. I didn't know if we wanted to batch the, the KBs together because that is how Tarantino envisioned them. Isn't no, he one film? Let's be real. Yeah. They are two different feature length films. Yes. And mm -hmm. I think for the purposes of our cast structure, we stick with that. All I right. agree. I think both things are true. I, I like Tarantino's conception of the whole movie, but I also am sort of relieved that they were released as two different ones. <laughs> yeah. So that gets us to like, let's talk about when we first saw it. Yep. You know, what did you guys, did you guys see in the theaters? So we're talking volume one. Volume one right. specifically. Yep. I went and saw it immediately when it came out because I believe I was in college and it was just one of those, you know, every college knucklehead at that time or late high school mm -hmm. probably flocked to a Tarantino movie when it came out and just being like completely engrossed with it. Loved it. Every ounce of it. I went and saw it twice, actually, because it was wow. just one of those. I rarely go and pay twice to see a movie in a theater, but this is one of those ones where it was like, it hit me so hard. I'm like, I have to see this again on the big screen. Right. Mm -hmm. And everything from the the concept, the, I think, some of his best cinematography to this point has been showcased by that, by both films, both Kill Bills. And then that balls out fucking action scene. Hmm. It with at the end. Oh, and we're gonna talk about it, but the anime sequence with yeah. Oshi. Oh my gosh. Is it Oshi Irin yeah. or and I'm probably saying her name right know. or wrong, but um the Lucy Liu character. Dear God, the whole thing is like high concept awesome. And mm -hmm. right. it just spoke to me on a whole nother level. 
So I, I didn't have that experience exactly. I was also in college, and I was a huge, huge Tarantino fan. Um, but you know, it, it had been like four years, I think, at that point since Jackie Brown had come out. So this movie was right. hugely anticipated. Um, I'm pretty sure I went and saw it in the little theater in Olean, New York. Solid. Shout out to Olean. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also a shout out to St. Bonaventure, which is where I was. And um, I remember being a little disappointed. But that's because it was one of those experiences where you expect it to be a thing. And right. it's not that thing. And so, you're, you know, at first it's hard to reconcile that. Um, I was expecting. I, I knew. I knew it was going to have all the kung fu stuff. I knew like the the basic premise of the thing. I knew it was. You know, I'd read all the material. It was influenced by like the uh, old you know samurai films and everything. Um, but even knowing that, like I still expected something like Pulp Fiction or right. Jackie mm-hmm. Brown. You know, mm-hmm. and I just remember like kind of walking out, being like, I didn't love this. Um, and we're not talking about the second one yet, so I'll, I will end statement. Yeah, that's going to be the hardest part there. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't quite the cinemaphile that you guys were. So, um, you know, I, we've talked in previous casts about, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown and um, um, Pulp Fiction. So, like, I came to those, I feel like, later than you guys. And same with this. I didn't get to see it in the theaters. I don't think it was a... Ch- I don't think I was really into going to the movies that much that it was something I would have thought of. And so um, i pretty sure I saw it on the unfortunate, probably edited for TV, like TBS version oh, or something. That's the worst movie to watch. I know. Tarantino. For sure it is. For sure it is. But, you know. You take what you can get. Yeah, you take what you can get. And then I definitely saw it. Um, a little bit later, like maybe grad school or like right after college, I watched it, like picked it up because it's got a lot of the things that drew me to movies in the first place, which would be, you know, the um, uh, the revenge story, the the wandering, um, the wandering, um, almost like law enforcer character who is trying to right the wrongs right. and has a travel. Right. We've talked about like Shaolin monks and stuff like that yes. with David Carradine in the past, and so like I was, I was all about that aspect, and I watched it. and I was not displeased by all of the things that I saw, um, and it may have even or encouraged me to go back and watch the earlier Tarantino's mm. because I was like, oh, who's this dude? Um, but watching it again this time, I got a whole different take on it because. I wasn't just watching for like the fight scenes, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Right. Action scenes are fun. Right. But uh, definitely paid attention to a lot more this time and felt my like attention drawn in like five different places because of it. So I'll probably watch it again, again. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. It's one of those perennial rewatches. It's just you see it on or you just get the itch. Right. It's not going to disappoint you. No, it's my take. And I feel that that's true of all Tarantino movies. Um, there's, there's, not a single one of them that I have not rewatched multiple times, with the sole exception of Death Proof. And even that one, I want to rewatch. I just uh, yeah, maybe you know, you, maybe you get something out of it, right? Yeah, we'll probably talk a little bit about the whole Grindhouse thing after we we're done with both Kill Bills. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because we can't have a Tarantino cast and not bring up the you know the it's part of the man's work, part of his catalog. Yeah, but there's one miss that we all kind of agreed on right we'll get to it later yeah yeah we all skipped it but um i guess before we kind of go through the plot of it and our takes as we um 
think about them, I'll just kind of give the audience a quick overview. So this is uh, essentially um, dreamed up between Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman. So right. if you pay attention, you see that it's um, a QT-UT joint, as it says. <laughs> um, and they they worked on the premise um, together um, on and off. And really, it's just a revenge story. Not just, but it's a revenge story about a uh, bride scorned who left Bill for multiple reasons that we find out. Um, and Bill is, you know, sends his hit squad after her, yeah. kills her at her wedding rehearsal. And that's where the story starts. In standard Tarantino form, you don't originally see the uh, inciting incident. You have to go back after a while. It right. comes back later in the ta- in the movie. Um, so where do you guys want to start? Like, it maybe premise how this is different from you his know, previous works? Or? It came to me while you were talking about standard Tarantino style. And this is one of those films, again, that until you've seen the whole film, you really can't place everything in the story because i think even the the one death she deals out there in revenge came after the one at the end so it all kind of bounces around and it's this sort of like you don't get the full picture until it's over Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things i really appreciate him as a director and at first it's kind of unnerving and a little jarring when you get into like somebody things like reservoir dogs or whatever it takes you a second to adjust to it but in this one i guess maybe i was used to it by that point and i was just along for the ride and by the time i walked out i was like fucking awesome I can't wait for part two right mm-hmm. well uh, we can probably uh, I don't know how you guys want to do this but there's you know the, there's only a few major segments in Kill Bill 1 and we can start with that because he does yeah he does do are they cha- I don't remember are they chapters chapters yeah, yeah, up in a pretty chapters. standard for Tarantino yeah just like uh, Pulp Fiction right or, so I, I think the first one is that one with um, oh shoot who's that actress she was also in Independence Day um are you but thinking? she's the one who's like in the suburbs, uh, and Divica she's got a fox. Yes, yes, yeah. Divica a fox. Um, Copperhead, which is also a really given all the you know you mentioned the cinematography before, like all the just gorgeous exotic places we're gonna go throughout these two films. It's it's kind of funny that they start with you know just this suburban house. <laughs> she walks up and like while they're in the middle of their fight, the daughter comes home. And they, you know, Uma Thurman hides the knife behind yeah. her back, mm-hmm. and they all like they're covered in blood and shit's broken. And she's like, "This is mommy's friend. Go do your homework." Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yeah with shards of their glass window right. and the table all over the floor, <laughs> and that poor girl like sort of bats an eyelash, like she sort of waits, yeah, does right. something, and then she's just like, "Oh, fine, whatever." Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I have one. That's the one thing about that sequence that I. It's still when I think about it, I go like, "Eh, it's kind of an awkward thing." Where um, Vivica Fox's character is supposed to be this incredible assassin, right? She's mm-hmm. obviously fighting the bride to like a standstill, and then just kind of loses it with the serial, and then shoots and misses. Right, and that's mm-hmm. the point blank range. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. just completely misses her and had her dead to rights. Had right. her because the yeah. bride was all like, you know, or well, I'm, we're not gonna call her name until we get to the second part, but mm-hmm. yeah, she's you know. Is standing there, and, which is a uh, choice we can talk about. Yeah, yeah. and you know, freaking you no know, knifes her in the head or whatever. But right. like that was it. Like that was the one shot they had to really get her, and she fucking missed. Like how do you right. how do you be like this big assassin and you miss? The other thing that gets me about that is, so her daughter is roughly the same age as the main character's daughter. Mm-hmm. How she, yeah, she would have been yeah. Right. So it was like that. Did, did she also get knocked up at the same time? Like, you know, it, Bill obviously wasn't involved in that one, but it's like, I mean, those, like why did he say? go? Yeah. Why did he go after the one and not the other? And I get it's because they had a thing, but at the same time, I always got the impression that this whole 
thing happened because she tried to leave the life. Right. And not so much him romantically, but it was leaving the life. Right. Yeah. Well, what is, uh, I mean, that that gets into, like, the end of Kill Bill 2. But there's there's know, actually hard, a more, about, well, there is a more complicated story to why he kills her. We'll put a pin in that. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that. Yeah. We'll come back to mm-hmm. that. I can't wait to talk about that whole scene. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I will I will say that as I rewatched this, basically what I thought was this is Tarantino inverting your expectations about everything again. You want a samurai revenge film, let's set it in the suburbs. Right. Let's let's have her driving around right. North America. Right, right. And that uh, absurd truck. And the, the pussy, pussy wagon. wagon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I so <laughs> He still, though, tells the story, as we said, in, in a disjointed fashion. Yep. This one felt more... Um, linear is not the right word, but I guess, like, cohesive than maybe Reservoir Dogs when I first watched it. It has a better three-act structure, mm-hmm. even though it's still not in linear yeah. structure. And I guess because, you know, well, Jackie Brown was really a lot more linear than Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction Jackie Brown was, was basically completely linear. Yeah, so, really kind of deviated from yeah. the standard formula. Correct. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to think of like the samurai films he would have drawn from, and I think those were pretty standard, you know, three-act structure, first, second, third, done yeah. Yeah. sort of thing. So I like that about this again. Right. Um, and I like the... I mean, there's the obvious, like, the assassins are women. Okay, big deal, right? right. Like, it's 2023. We should expect that sort of thing. But um, so much about each individual um, character that he humanized again through the small talk that we brought up. That's another thing that Tarantino always does is the small talk. Like, even when they're fighting right. and Vivica Fox is, like, grabbing the cereal, they're still having, like, almost a banal right. conversation right, right. while they're getting ready to kill each other. And it really it just kept, like, checking these boxes of things right. that I expect Tarantino to do in a really... Um, a unique fashion every time. And I was impressed with it again, even from the get-go, yeah. even if we don't like the one shot that shows right. Well, Tarantino, um, you know, all of his films, you know, I feel like many of his films will pick a genre to sort of emphasize, mm-hmm. but they all involve in some way, um, you know, the, the samurai films that you mentioned, um, the spaghetti western, it's mm-hmm. huge, increasingly so as, right. as the career goes on. Um, and then you know the sort of like old seventies, uh, you know, cop films or black black exploitation yeah. films and that, and uh, noir movies and that kind of thing, and so they're all here. This is like you said. This is this one emphasizes the samurai aspect or the Ronin or the revenge film. You know, I'm glad you used Ronin. I was reaching yeah. for that word before we were talking about it. Right, um, but it. I mean, it also very like in terms of aesthetically and a lot of the music is very much a spaghetti western. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, you get all the, you know, those sort of like, those gritty 70s films in there too with shit like the pussy wagon and the suburban setting for part of it. Well, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with the, like that 70s era filmmaking, like that whole Asian influence was huge. Oh yeah. And there were a lot of even black exploitation movies where they set the black main character in this Asian sort of like uh-huh. set. I remember watching these right. things being like, this is pretty far out, man. It was like really right. cool because this guy's like from the hood, and yet he's like this ninja master who's like super awesome right. and super zen. And it's like, so that idea of already that foreign influence being superimposed upon sort of these American storytelling things, yes. he's kind of just riffing on something that already was there. Yeah, know? that's a great point. Those films were super influential in, um, you know, black exploitation films, as you said. Mm. Um, 
but also super influential on the Western genre. Right. Uh, I mean, there is very, there's a, a very, very fine line difference between like the wandering gunslinger that Clint Eastwood plays in the Man with No Name trilogy, and you know the 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 sort of Ronin figure in uh, uh, I was about to say Haruki Murakami, but he's an author who's the Akira Kurosawa yeah, Kurosawa. Yeah, films. Um, you know, and and the way a lot of those shots happen, you know, the wide screen like. Uh, open landscape shots, the plot lines, the themes are all incredibly similar. Um, so there's a you're right to point it out. There was a huge influence at that time of those movies. There's also those like some of the shots too of the extreme close up during combat when they're locked swords or mm-hmm. like the hero pose, like you know splash art kind of thing where they you stand in there with the sword at the ready. And then, like, the frenzy of combat where you have a sense of what's going on, which you can't see until the dude's cut in half right in front of the camera, and you're like, what the fuck? You know, like... Uh, guys, I've got to chop straight the fuck off. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's a, a love letter to all of that stuff. Like, every one of his movies really is a love letter to the things that made him who he is. Right. Yeah, so I think uh, we go from there to, is it the hospital scene, right? With, like, the creepy dude. So and, uncomfortable. Oh, my God, yeah. It's very hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even, I, even if she gets her, like, revenge right. moment, you still realize she spent years right. being raped continuously in a coma over right. and over. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Just how horrifying this is. And it's, like, the least horrifying thing that's happened to her in the movie. Right. Right? It's almost like she shrugs it off, like, eh, well... You know, one more thing, but it's oh like God, yeah, yeah. you can't stop and think like yeah. yeah, just bashing that guy's head in the door wasn't enough. No, no. Well, she ripped his tongue out too. That's a good right. point. She did. Right. Yeah. Still not enough, but that's no. a nice throwback to what I see as like you know Shakespeare and Titus Andronicus ah, and like yes. there's a lot of Greek revenge fun in this movie, which that's is, great is what I was here for originally, <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, he's a good filmmaker too. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I never really thought about that that aspect of it for sure. I mean, it could be me just adding that on because I like that shit. I know, no, and I don't know if Tarantino point. has that's, that's talked about it. That's the reason Shakespeare is still relevant. It's yeah. because he hit up things that we still do. Right. So. Yeah, we stole from the Greeks. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Yeah, God, that whole thing. And then she's, like, recovering in the pussy wagon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which, of course, yeah, 70s films all the way. Like, that that giant ass truck up on lifts <laughs> labeled pussy wagon it's a dually chevy silver like silverado 2500 like that's lowered it's got a wing or whatever it's pink and yellow mm-hmm. he's got mm-hmm. the matching keychain with the you know the airbrushed pussy wagon <laughs> and yeah the thing is just fucking absurd didn't tarantino actually keep that truck too for a while. Uh, he deserved it. Maybe, I don't know. I'm pretty but, sure he had the pussy wagon for a while in real life. Well, and the pussy wagon thing is funny, but, um, you know, I mean, as, as you guys were saying, and I agree, it's it, even for a guy like Tarantino, who half of his shtick is like, you know, I am going to go too far. I am going to yeah. say the thing that makes you uncomfortable. And I am going to, when it comes to violence or anything else, profanity, I'm going to be gratuitous, you know? And that's like, he embraces that. But even knowing that, and, and even by Tarantino standards, you know, that moment when he's standing over the bed with that dude next to him and you mm. you suddenly realize what he's doing yeah. and what he's, yeah. you know, talking about. You're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> even in a Tarantino movie, that hits you. Yeah. And, you know, we had just talked about previous casts, which, dear listener, if you haven't heard, go back to the other Tarantino ones. <laughs> um, if I... If I'm not mistaken, we talked about how he was like withholding some of the the graphic nature of his violence, doing it off camera, do, you know, cutting around yes. it on purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not this movie. Nope. This no. movie is all straight on violence. You're staring at right. it the whole time, and 
that shot you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, you get the view of those two guys from what would have been the main character's like vantage. You see right. her feet in the shot, right. the end of her bed, and so it like puts you in her position more to the point where like if you weren't cringy enough, which you might not have a soul if you're not cringing <laughs> at what they're talking right. about, then like you see it from her perspective, and it's even more awful. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. I can't say any more about it. It's just terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, well, you know, she kills him, which is yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, what does she do to the other guy, the guy that she wakes up, like, while it's happening? She does she something to him, too. slices right? his... No, no, no. That's the guy I think she bit the tongue out of. Okay. The, oh, she cuts that's right. the uh, Achilles right. on the, the orderly or the nurse or whatever he is, and then yeah. she bashes his head in the mm. door repeatedly until he's dead. There we go. That's right. It's, it's cartoonish. The it violence is, yeah. in the movie is cartoonish. Like when she cuts an arm off, it's spraying this like. Right. I was gonna hold on to that for later, but that yeah, is one but of I my mean, it's, it, but it's part of the whole uh, conversation because yes. everything in it is like exaggerated. It's all hyperbole. Mm-hmm. If you watch, uh, it's been many, many years. But if you go back and watch like any of the old samurai films, um, I watched a bunch of them. Uh, years ago, because I'm a huge Wu Tang fan, and uh, you know, so many references uh, in their entire aesthetic and everything is based on those movies. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I gotta go back and watch these, and I did. And uh, you know, <laughs> the, the violence is extremely cartoonish, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. this thing. Honestly, it's the same thing with like the old spaghetti westerns. Um, we're not going to talk about this till next time we record. But Django Unchained was heavily influenced by an old spaghetti western. Uh, called Just Django, I believe. Mm. But I watched that Makes one sense. recently. I think it was last summer. And the dude carries, like, he drags on a chain behind him a coffin, like, through half the movie. Yeah. And he won't let anyone touch it. And when he finally opens it up, it's because this gang has come into town and surrounded him. He opens up the co- uh, coffin, and it's like a Gatling gun, which he puts <laughs> on a tree trunk and just fucking slaughters everybody, like, in this cartoonish way. So, yeah, I mean, it is, Tarantino takes it to the next level with right. the eight-foot mm-hmm. blood sprays and shit. Um, you know, but it's, you know, it's still an homage to those things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sure, and you know the newest wandering Ronin film I can think of. I mean, it's not quite the exact same thing, but it was like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. which yeah, I yeah. think there was a bunch of those that oh, all were excellent. You know, like I think of that film, and the violence in that film is just more choreographed, tightly choreographed. I, yes. I don't know. Well, they're in the because beautiful films. Yeah, well, yeah, and they're, they're beautiful, but at the same time, it's like you can tell there's choreography in the fight scenes for yeah. Tarantino. And either they're instructed to be very loose about their movements and, like, obviously over-the-top cartoonish. Yeah. Or they were like, let's just practice this one time and see what the fuck happens. Right. A- except for when you're, you know, dancing on stairs and stuff like that later well, on that we'll get to. Uma Thurman is rather inelegant in the fight scenes, I think. And I don't know if that's just, she's as an actor, can't pull off that, like, you know, dance of that fighting. Physicality. Or it's just that's the choice they made and that's the way her fighting style is. But it's... um. <laughs> And you could tell she's not really great with a sword, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, well, that was one thing that always struck me is like if she was so great that Bill like fell in love with her and she was supposed to be like the one of the 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 snake crew or gang right. or whatever. Why? Like, why is it just because she was so over the top violent? But as we talk about the other fight scenes coming up, I don't think so. She's not that much strong. She doesn't look that much stronger. Right. Well, it's her willpower. She it. You know, yeah. like she survived so many things, and you get to the second movie, you talk about like what she was able to overcome, and that's probably what it is about her. Just that she's a survivor, mm-hmm. right? And that's she keeps coming back. 
So despite her lack of elegance with fighting, she'll still be the master at it because she's going to not stop. And she also has the best sword. This is true. This is the <laughs> this is the next part of the hero's quest. Here is All you right. start. You kill your first victim. You get on a on a roll, or you not victim. You check off the first name, mm. which she is literally doing on the plane, writing down kill list oh, or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. And she's writing out their names again and again. Yeah, great observation. Um, That's how you know that it's out of order too. And mm-hmm. why when she kills is it Oshi Iren? I Iren. It is. Uh, Oren Oshi. Oren Ishi. Ishi, you're right. She uh, she's the first, right? The first on the on the list. She's the first on the list, but the last chronologically that she gets. Yeah, but if you because you have at, to work through the whole game. Yeah, but I think that's the like in the actual in universe that's the first kill because that's where she gets the sword, right? No, she gets so she goes to yeah. Hanzoi first. Oh, sorry, Hanzoi. Well, yeah, thank you. Once again, dear listeners. I don't do names. <laughs> so, um, no, I don't I don't think it's that because she leaves America right. for Japan. Yeah. And so she she has to have escaped the hospital. We can say that. Right. The pussy wagon has to have happened. And um, uh, Vivica A. Fox lives in America. Right. Right. And she doesn't go back to America until two, correct? Um, I'm trying to, like, I have some notes up here, and I'm trying to just kind of scroll through them to make oh. sure that I'm right, but it seems like it. This is weird. I, I have no service in your basement. Oh, that's... Can uh, I turn the Wi-Fi? Sorry. That's yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's it's probably just this room, but... Um, We're in a, uh, a Faraday cage down here. <laughs> well, I was going to say Mike's safe room, but... Yeah. <laughs> What's you know. the password for this safe room? Um, we gotta look that up because I gotta the know. The password is Gorlami. Gorlami. <laughs> He's a We'll see you in two film or uh, two uh, oh, yeah, casts, we're good. y'all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the contrarian that. that I started this cast being. I, I honestly think that she kills Oren Ishii first. It, it's it's very likely actually. Now that I'm now that you got us thinking about it, because she doesn't have that sword mm-hmm. when she fights her, right? When she fights Vivica a. Fox, she doesn't have her Hanzo sword. Mm-hmm. No, but I don't think she thought she needed it. Maybe or no, she weird. did. But I thought she got disarmed by the girl with the mace on the chain. No, no, no. She she took it home with her. It was on the airplane. Cause I remember distinctly. Oh, they have airplanes with a place to put your samurai sword. Okay, so yeah. this is she. Well, she has it when she, like, hmm. when she fights at the end of the second movie. Like, cause he's looking at it. That's that's looking ahead to the second movie. Yeah. But in the first movie, she fights Vivica A. Fox. She does not have the sword. Correct. Yeah, then she knife. No, no. I'm saying I think you're right because no, he's still wrong. <laughs> So hang on, she Fuck. doesn't have the sword, which means she hasn't gotten it yet, right? Mm-hmm. And then she flies to Japan and gets the sword. I think chronologically, she kills Vivica A. Fox, gets on a plane, goes to Japan, gets the sword. See, I'm arguing. That's what side. I was saying. I'm arguing. Oh, and I are on the same. And you are right. I'm saying she goes Thanks. to Japan, gets the sword, kills Oranishi, comes back to America, picks up her pussy wagon, and then kills Vivica A. Fox on her way to go and then kill the next group. Well, I don't know. I think she I switches cars, do though. Research. Do we I have, know do we have internet looking. access? I do. <laughs> I do. Volume one. While you're looking that up, um, we can probably move on and start talking about that scene in Japan. Um, Unless you, you want to talk it? about the um, Hanzoi um, 
you are not worthy training montage. That's sort of that's thing. the scene I mean. Yeah. Oh, that's the yeah. scene. Okay. That, that, that's in Japan, show. right? Yeah. So yeah. she sits yeah, down. Yeah, she's in sushi show. And uh, you know, she's not speak Japanese. She's in her like classic Uma Thurman, like smiley, over yeah. overacting, like sort of way. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like the the exaggerated shrug, and she's like, I need a sword, you know, or. Well, Whatever he's, and she's like buttering with right. him, just a tourist, and, and he's clearly flirting with the young yeah. American tourist, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and he's like playing it way over the top yep. too with the guy he's yelling at all the time, right? Just oh, it's hilarious. I, I find that scene it's it's just a joy to watch. Yeah. Like those two, like why do I always have to? And he's yeah. like, uh, when I'm, uh, what does he say? When if I were general, then I wouldn't have to do this. And he goes, if you're general, then I would be emperor, and yeah. you'd still have to yeah. do it. <laughs> you, the greatest thing about that too is like you watch it now and you know what he, who he is. But there's that one little subtle hint when he takes the butcher knife and just kind of like, like throws it at the wall and it's like, holy shit, this guy's got some kind of skill here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean it's it's fun watching him like prepare the sushi. Like he's flirting with her. She's clearly pretending to be like this ditzy American tourist that she's not and everything. And um, you know, and then the scene takes that cool turn when she says that she needs a uh, uh, Haturi Hanzo, right? Is that mm-hmm. Haturi Hanzo? Um, you know, she needs a sword, and then he gives her that look, and you know immediately, like you're like, oh shit, that's that guy. I have a very big, it's like that yes. whole thing, and it's right. like you owe me. Right, I no longer make instruments of death, yeah. and and uh, she goes, you have a. Very big obligation, yeah. or somewhat sizable obligation, or something. It will take me a, fl- a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think part of the problem is, as I'm looking up the chronologies, um, the chronology is spliced between the two movies. Okay. And so okay, we'd we'd really have to talk about the two at the same time in order to get like. Well, we can't. I mean, we can already spilled some. Yeah. I mean, a little kill? bit. Who is the first kill? So one sec, then, because I killed that window thinking that we weren't going to. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. This is why you do research ahead of time, but hey. I thought I knew. Okay. We'll fix it in post. That's right. Nope. We're going to do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> how many memes can I fit into this one moment while I'm researching? Okay. Beatrice Connects Assassin. Movie ends. All right. So. The first one is actually the origins of Oren, which is that beautiful the anime scene. Anime yeah, scene. Oh, right, right, right. right. I mean, chronologically, that happens first before the entire revenge plot happens or begins. Right. Okay. Start with Oren Ishii. Then the cruel tutelage of Pamei, which is where she learns the finishing move that we'll yeah. talk about later. Mm-hmm. The one inch punch, which is famous everywhere in every film. Bride finds out she's pregnant, right? So she's in the hotel scene at um, volume two. Yeah, she right. You're doing the chronology right? of the all the chapters. Well, you okay. ca- you can't. So the chronology of like if you took the stories out of order, out of the order Tarantino put them in and put them in chronological right. order. Okay. This is the whole thing, which we did with um, Pulp Fiction, right? And Reservoir Dogs. So she finds out she's pregnant, and that other assassin comes in, right? And the assassin's like, you know, I wish I could do the whistling. <laughs> yeah, I can't whistle either. Yeah. So good in that. Then we get the actual massacre that starts the the revenge plot, which is right. the attempted assassination of Uma Thurman as her. Samuel L. Jackson as the piano player. Oh my god, that guy just needs to be in every <laughs> film, every film. And then she awakens from her coma mm-hmm. and has that terrible. You're right, unfortunately for me. Bright awakens from her coma and goes to Tokyo. Fuck yes! Hey, all right, Sean gets Give a bell. Him a bell. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I earned that bell. 
So that burned about twenty minutes. She gets <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing is, let's see. Goes to Tokyo. Does she get her sword? Pussy wagon. Bride, sexual predators. The bride heads straight to the airport and buys a ticket to Tokyo to confront Oren, her first target. Yep, yep. And then huh. is she at the airport? They short the ticket window and like. Tokyo, Japan, ding! Yeah, and then they show her like, Yeah. Yeah, and then she's like, and then she's come back and she goes, America! And it's <laughs> fly her back to it. It's like something absurd like that. Hmm. Let's see. Visits the legendary swordsmith. Okay, she gets her sword and then she fights the, the crazy 88s. Yep. Which is the. It always reminds me, because I saw these out of order, it reminds me of the fight scene from The Matrix. Yeah, he's got like eighty-eight, yeah, yeah. or a hundred or whatever agent smiths, right. because they're obviously all designed to look the same. Um, as the crazy eighty-eight, so we can talk about the scene. You want to stop there? Talk it's about that fight really scene before you move up. Then just yeah. a name. They just like to call themselves that. Yeah, because they're crazy. Yeah, I think I've, I've proven my point. Yeah, yeah. so no, Sean was right. He got Sean his bell. Right. All right, yeah. so move on. Uh, so we're talking about Hattori Hansu's yeah. sushi, right? Mm -hmm. Which comes up again later. We also have some not Hattori Hansu sushi. We have some <laughs> Wegmans sushi. Wegmans. Do you guys want to have somebody want to wait until we get to Kill Bill Two? Yeah, let's finish Ooh. up Kill Bill One. Take right. a yeah. break. I'll mix up another batch of Mezcal. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like feel it. I feel like that's right. Unless you, uh, you well, his sushi hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> no, it there is you not, go. As we learn, yeah. Talk about uh, the crazy eighty fights. I just got real quick. So yep. that whole thing with Hattori Hanzo and mm -hmm. how she basically leverages him to make the sword for her. Right. Yeah, he breaks a blood oath. Right. Exactly. It's this beautiful like. Like, I don't know, samurai culture kind of thing, but like that they go through the artistry of making this. And he said, This is the finest sword I have ever made. And this right. is the guy who makes the finest swords of all time. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is the pinnacle of his work. It's just, I love the reverence that Tarantino gives right. that whole thing. And he presents it to her. And the other guy, they're doing the ceremonial thing. Which it's is really beautiful, in full, too. Oh, There's no cutaways. It's no, really just really. there the whole right. time on them. It's you actually gorgeous. don't even know she's there when they start that scene because they mm -hmm. just show him. They show the guy assisting him. And all, all that is very just gorgeous to look at. And then when he, he starts talking, and then eventually the camera angle switches and you realize he's talking to her. Um, yeah. And, and it, it also. Uh, you know, obviously the sword itself is a huge part of the samurai genre. Mm -hmm. But the idea of, like, the one sword, the magic sword, right. is, like, a huge sword, trope yeah. in fantasy fiction. Right. So I mm -hmm. thought that was really cool to bring that in. Right. And I love the, the over-exaggerated, like, Foley work where they take the sword out of the scabbard and yes. it's like that, shwing, right. like, sings, and then she's holding it, and all you hear is a, <laughs> it's like, it's just beautifully done. It is. Yeah. It is absolutely well done. Yeah, that's and I, I'm pretty sure that's a trope in Ronin films too. And I, I'm just trying to think like because the RZA did the soundtrack for this, so like was it, that his influence too? Like, did he have some play in that sound? Because I know it's not strictly music, but how much I'm interested, and I haven't been able to find how much he was into the the rest of the sound design too. That's for a good it. question. I don't know. I had forgotten RZA was involved. Um, he is, another Wu Tang reference, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he actually did his own samurai film. Uh, Sometime around 2008 or something like was that. Was it good? Uh, like, like, no, it was oh. fun. I, I oh, remember I remember watching it just, yeah. like I said, because I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. We, you know, he did a samurai film. Of course I'm going to watch that shit. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was, it was was entertaining evening, but I never watched it again. And he also yeah. did a song with the Black Keys around that same time, oh, which was that. really cool. Hmm. That, uh, that sword is such a cool integral part of that whole story. And just the way he 
films it when she's using it as like a rearview mirror in the one fight mm-hmm. and they always like focus on the light and like the waviness yeah. of the two different kinds of steel and a samurai sword and it like spawned like a whole resurgence in the samurai sword industry like this movie inspired wow. so many people to go out and make samurai right. swords and try to sell kill bill sword replicas <laughs> people <laughs> going to japan to get legitimate swords like Jeez. it, it Damn, launched a little that. cottage people industry. were hunting for this actual hanzo person <laughs> yeah they're looking for hattori hanzo i need a hattori hanzo sword Every oh, little sushi shop suddenly got a thousand American customers a day. <laughs> Have you guys ever watched like like actual masters make a samurai sword? No. no. I've watched it on like Discovery or History or something like that, and it's like they take this steel that you can only get or this ore. They take the ore mm-hmm. you can only get in these certain places. They you know they refine it. They take it down to a steel billet, and then they fold it like a thousand times. They keep folding mm-hmm. it over so that it creates all those layers. And then they draw the sword out, and by the time they've sandwiched the steel with like two different kinds of hardness with all this folding, it creates that gentle curvature you get, and the back steel is very flexible, hmm. so it won't break. But the front steel is really hard, so it'll slice through pretty much any fucking thing you run against it, right? Wow. And it's designed to be like, it. the, the sword was made... Like, the way they fight in the movies and things is not how you're supposed to use one of those swords, because you'll chip the shit out of the blade and it'll it'll be useless. It's designed for a one-strike kill. You're supposed to get in and just go whoosh and decapitate your enemy, and that's it. Or hmm. disarm him. So it's supposed to be like a Jedi, almost. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, like yeah. Obi-Wan was yeah. always at that one move, guy's arm's off, you're done. Right. That's what it was made for. It's not supposed to be parrying and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just, and that's it. But that's the coolest part. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, the I'm ruining it. I'm sorry. But it's like no, that's fine. It's it's a good comparison to the real world because it's you know we talk about this being hyperbole, so you have to know where right. like the real world draws its line. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do love the fact that no matter what, that thing does not get a single scuff on it. Oh no, it's pristine the whole time because it is the sword. <laughs> it's perfect. Right. It is invincible. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're running to the crazy eighty eights. That's one of my favorite moments. Is this where we do the anime flashback first when she talks about? The, the like the history of Oranishi and yeah. how gorgeous that like who expects an anime mini featurette in the middle of a feature film it's exactly awesome. it's, it's very so cool. well done yeah and it's and it's also uh, not it's the the animation it's also the story yeah. which makes yeah. you feel sympathetic for this person that you're not supposed to feel sympathetic mm-hmm. to at all and then uh, then it's uh, it's also the music because the music yes. is, yeah. is like heartbreaking and gorgeous and everything during that whole sequence well, when she like she's a child and she assassinates her right. father's killer or parents right. killer yeah. and like that look of like almost like orgasmic release right. after she does it and right. it's intentional and then it cuts back oh, to live sure. action and like she's solidifying her control of the Yakuza yeah. and I love how she just like looks at this guy who's like challenging her, yeah. runs across the table in these tiny little stuffs, right. fucking cuts the guy's head off, and then just turns, any other one of you motherfuckers has anything to say? <laughs> say it now! It's mm-hmm. so good. But but then, is, well, uh, well, let me circle back to that in a second. While we're still on the anime uh, part of it, um, I also, I mean, it's horrifying, but it's weirdly beautiful, oh. is when she's under the bed. I was thinking that scene. Is it the mother that's been stabbed on the bed, or, or the father? One of them, right? I think and, it's the mother. And the sword just misses her, but as she's looking up at the bottom of the mattress, and you see all these little specks, and then it turns into this blood, blood rain blood. that drips down on her. It's mm-hmm. it's it's one of those like oddly horrifying because you know what it means, but still like the animation of it is absolutely beautiful. Well, it gives the villain stakes too, right? Right. She's she's the main villain of part one. Right. Like, that's the big yeah. the big boss, right? Or like the it's like a video game, right? right. She's it's the exactly sub level boss on her way up the ladder to the other bosses. 
And it's just, it gives her that, like, that presence. Like, this person is someone who is not to be fucked with. And now that you mention that, I've never thought about this before, but she's, like, the only one of uh, the group that gets a backstory at all, really, right? There's a little bit about Bill's brother, but not much. There's a little bit about Vivica Fox in their dialogue. Well, yeah, but not yeah. much. A little bit there. There's a little bit about um, the one-eyed girl, Daryl Hannah's character. I, I mean, she gets, that, a, she gets up the, the, the in the second movie a yeah. little backstory with when she's dealing with the guy in his eye. And her Basically, mm-hmm. just that mm-hmm. that's how she lost her eye and right. that she killed him. And that's it. Yeah. And then yeah. Bill gets almost no backstory at right. all. Mm-hmm. No, except for like I mean, we little snippets like we know yeah. he was. Uh, the guy who Pai like May inspired student. Hanzo mm-hmm. to stop making swords, yeah, and he was yeah. Pai Mei's student. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's it. But you're right. I think she's the only one that gets the detailed origin right. story, and a little sympathetic. Yeah. yeah, you're right because I mean, she turns out like old. Uh, her, the Lucy Liu character, is not sympathetic at all. She's terrifying. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. you watch that thing, and you're like, oh, that is so sad, and you like want to root for her for for just a minute. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't even know that much about the bride. We know more about her than we know about any other character. Yes. Which is kind of an odd choice. Yes. Think about it. Very interesting. Yeah, about why they got into the business. Yeah. So they say. Right. Yeah, because I don't remember any backstory for the bride. It's also interesting, too, when you think about it. If Ora Nishi is so, like, important in the Yakuza, and she's like a Yakuza boss, what the hell is she doing slumming around with a bunch of fucking assassins? Well, that happened after. That's actually explained. Bill financed her, like, oh, you're takeover right. of yeah, the whole true. thing. That's, yeah. that's how she's she was like able a plant. to do it, right? Yeah, she was that part of her being a sniper, and yeah. she shot that, like, that, like, military guy right. in the and everything. Right, right, right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that brings us back to that meeting, and so she runs down the table, she decapitates that guy, and then she turns around... And has this look in her face like she's going to fucking kill someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then immediately it's just like a flash and it's replaced by this very pleasant smile. And mm-hmm. she's like, as your new leader, I would like to encourage an environment of openness. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking like hilarious. Yeah. I was just about to say, it yeah. felt very bureaucratic, yeah. which we're all familiar with. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love her like attache too. I think it's the actor's name is Julie Dreyfus, which I always get confused with the girl from Seinfeld. It's not the same <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. No, she's not a, Julia Louise Dreyfus. Exactly. She's a French actress who mm-hmm. plays, you know, the, the girl who gets her arm chopped off mercilessly. But yeah. it's like, she's in a lot of Tarantino movies too. And she comes up again in Glorious Bastards. I don't know if you noticed that. And I did not. I believe mm-hmm. she's in Kill Bill 2 mm-hmm. for a brief amount of time too. When they do like that flashback, she's in the church. She is. So she's an interesting, like, lurking figure. There's a lot of, like, really cool, like, you could do like a whole Netflix series on just the, the ter- like secondary and tertiary characters in these films. Yeah, and like make really compelling stories for them, and it's pretty awesome. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's enough backstory for everybody there to do that. Yeah, there's and, a lot of meat on that bone. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, it as much as like there's violence in this film, we're actually like talking about every almost everything, but there's a couple things that we mentioned. But you know, it's funny. Like, yeah, they chop off the arms and kind of move on. Because as much as the violence is there, it's not really driving the plot so much. Really, yeah, we know yeah. she wants revenge, but like, right. sure, you could chop off both her arms. You know, she she mows down 130, 88, crazy 88s <laughs> or however many. I didn't count. I intended to. Yeah. And then I lost count. You're, you've been trying to get us there, and I keep No, it's fine. It, but with like that it's scene fun. with the crazy 88 is just hyper-violent and yeah. hyper-awesome. Right. It's fucking yeah. aw- It's like a music video right. of mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. It's so good. 
I mean, that, and that uh, that scene was another one of the reasons when I when I first watched this movie, I was just like, well, this this is fucking silly. But you know, I wasn't flying basically. Right, I wasn't. Yeah, running up the stair steps and stuff. That was a that was an ignorance on my part. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hadn't like really taken a deep dive into all the influences, mm-hmm. you know, those genres yet at that point in my life. I was still expecting Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, I mean, those eight foot blood sprays, like they did oh, not man. amuse me when I was like <laughs> yeah. nineteen or whatever I was. I was like, this this shit's fucking absurd you know what what is this guy doing (laughs) the realism's all crazy doesn't anybody in this place have a gun can't they just shoot her she just jump up 20 (laughs) feet to that second yeah exactly i mean all that was like my reaction the first time and uh you know i'll I'll, again i'll stop here i'll talk more about my reassessment when we get to kill bill too but uh it is it is brilliantly choreographed and filmed because those things i i imagine would be so easy to fuck up and a lot of Mm -hmm. modern filmmakers cover up for that and disguise that by doing the whole shaky camera thing and yeah. and the super quick cut thing where you're mm-hmm. like not really sure what's happening and it's just implied that everything's hectic and it's a lot of great violence and have fun but um you know this film doesn't do that you're always aware of where she is and who she's fighting and yep. you understand how she's killing them um expertly choreographed uh, i thought well done yeah i maybe i had a different experience with those like samurai movies and those like 70s style ones when i was i might have watched them before you did like when i was younger. you probably did i came to yeah. them later because i had my you know we just had a lot of, i had a lot of time when i was a kid i guess to watch <laughs> stupid shitty tv and i remember like watching a lot of that stuff on tv and being mm-hmm. like like old bruce lee films right and mm-hmm. like the enter the dragon yeah like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and i kind of like when i saw it i was like oh this is so cool he's like i knew he was riffing on it as soon as i as soon as like she cut the girl's arm off and his blood spraying out right. and then she's jumping like it's freaking i'm like it's on it's on this is like full-on fantasy samurai now at this point mm-hmm. she gets into like the the mini boss battle with the girl with the ball and chain thing and yeah. like kills her with her like a was a board with nails in it and stuff yes. and, yeah it, she almost got her though the girl almost yeah. got her and and then she has so many close calls almost got her there yep they, then she made short work of all the you know like the green hornet guys whatever right. the little masks on and all that yeah the but, crazy 88s but that girl uh, the underboss girl or whatever that you're talking about is fucking terrifying oh, she, like, she yeah. is yeah. creepy as shit mm-hmm. man yeah, she gets a little backstory too uh, very slight how you don't fuck oh, with her oh yeah the guy in the bar yeah yeah, yep. yeah I sometimes I was confusing some of Oren's backstory with her yeah just because well, yeah. it's like she's a protege. Yeah. But yeah. there are so many, like Uma Thurman gets so many great moments in that. Like with the little guy, she cuts his sword in, into like three right. little pieces and then she spanks him. He's like, don't yeah. play with Yakuza. <laughs> uh, I, I love the end of that fight. And they turn the lights back on. Right. And then you just see, like, because it's in that beautifully shot, like, black and white. It's all awesome. And right. then everything looks cartoonish. Yep. And then you see what it really looks like. And she, they're all writhing on the floor. <laughs> their body parts. And she's sitting there going like, "Those of you who are lucky enough to keep your lives, you're they're yours, but your limbs belong to me. <laughs> Leave <Yeah>. them." <laughs> and she like makes them all yeah. go, and they can't recover their cleanly cut off body that parts. A, probably yeah, could be that is a badass yeah. line. Oh, it's fucking awesome! <laughs> and she ascends to the final level for the main boss, and it's, yeah, literally yeah. ascends. And it's snowing. It's this that, gorgeous yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, that reminded me of uh, a lot of the films that came out around that time. Actually, I think Tarantino was responsible for one or two of them being brought to America, including my favorite one, Hero. I don't know if you guys saw Hero, but yeah. just a unbelievable. Like it's, I mean, the the fighting and the choreographing and the story are all very interesting, but it's just the cinematography that is 
gorgeous. They're mm-hmm. so beautiful. You mentioned Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's another yeah. one. There was uh, which was three years before. Kill right, Bill. I, that was like kind of the OG that started a lot of those films. They got they got they had a moment there. Uh, mm-hmm. House of uh, Flying Daggers was another one. Mm-hmm. And that scene where you're talking about where he goes outside and uh, or she goes outside and uh, Lucy Liu's waiting for her um, is beautiful that yeah all the plants and uh you know the night sky and the softly falling snow um it's a gorgeous fight you mentioned that makes you wonder if like as they were developing and gestating this character how much of all of that just came from what tarantino was seeing in cinemas recently like i don't think uma thurman was thinking about that kind of stuff when she had his revenge bride kind of she probably wasn't thinking oh it's gonna turn into a samurai epic and like you know (laughs) i would i would tend to agree with that yeah (laughs) but then you mentioned the um the beautiful part of that scene and just she's just waiting for they have the exchange and then you get that right and then like the up tempo and they take off her slippers real slow right right Mm -hmm. oh it's it's the anticipation. He is the master of building anticipation with that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and and the way he does it is is stolen like almost directly from Sergio Sergio Leone films. Yes. Um, I mean, we'll talk about this more. I think when we get the Inglorious Bastards, but you see it in Kill Bill already. The oh, way yeah. they they take something that is like the mundane thing before the big fight. And they make it stretch out forever with like mm-hmm. ominous electric guitar or mm-hmm. like a soaring chorus in the background, you know. And obviously, the most famous example of that is the fight scene at the end of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, yes. where you get like six yeah. solid minutes of the ecstasy of gold while it just goes eyeball to eyeball to eyeball. Yeah. But he does that. That's exactly yeah. what he does. He 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 does the. Uh, the really slow, the slippers coming off and um, them moving slowly across from each other into position before everything explodes into that. And the song cuts completely mm-hmm. right. when the swords cross. Like everything right. is choreographed yeah. beautifully. Right. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a, a nice high shot too where you see the whole field yes. as contrast and it's like just stark white. Yes. And that like, you know, kind of imprints on you. And then right. when you see the red dripping down mm. from the oh, final yes. cut, like. And she's it's got that so yellow, beautiful. like, like jogging suit thing on. Yeah, it's a motorcycle out. suit, right? At first, but then she takes the leathers off, and underneath is the exact same thing <laughs> as the jogging suit. I missed that. Yeah. That's funny. And I think, didn't uh, Lucy Liu, she had on, was it a red dress? She had something, mm-hmm. no, maybe that was her, her protege there. It's like or, a blue dress, I think, if I remember correctly. I'll have to look. Yeah. But you're right, like the contrast between the snow right. and their color and... Just like how she beats her, basically. Like, like Lucy Liu had her. Had her dead mm-hmm. to rights. Right. And then there was that... I can't do that sound with it. Yeah. It's like the that revenge really just drives her. Saw it, but it's jarring because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like, yeah. that right. fuck! Right. You know, like yeah. it wakes her up. It's like smelling salts. Right. And well, she just goes berserk on her and cuts her fucking top of her head off, and it's like ooh, that triumphant pose. There's a oh. cool moment before that too, where she like first gets herself back into the fight, yeah. and like she mm-hmm. cuts Lucy Liu, and that's the first moment Lucy Liu realizes she might be in trouble. Yeah, and uh, and she does that Pitching thing, where, like, yeah, <laughs> and she looks at her and she says something like, you know, for uh, for belittling you before, I apologize. Yes, yes. there's some seriousness yeah. or like some respect between them. And then, then the fateful fight, and you're right. She fucking like half decapitates her. Oh, it's awful. It's like the coolest thing because it's like you see the hair, and you're like, is that her whole head? Right. Like, no, it's just no. the top part. Yeah. <laughs> and her last line is great. That really was a Hattori Hansu thing. <laughs> yes. She, yes. She doubted yes. it. She's like, this is impossible, right? It right. can't be. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, nope, it cut right through me. <laughs> right. So as I'm looking at pictures, I'm trying to see. She's got a Lucy Liu has a white. 
Yeah, it's like a white kimono kind of kimono thing. Kimono with yeah. a black underneath. Oh, that's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, she blends in with the snow until she bit. bleeds. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And it causes a little bit more contrast with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, startling. So, I mean, we have reached the end of Kill Bill 1, guys. And awesome. We are, we are right where we need to be. So, last words, last thoughts besides, I'm going to say, go see it. How many years are between these two movies in mm-hmm. IRL? Let's see. I think just a year or two, was if I just, remember correctly. I was still in college when Kill Bill 2 came out. Yeah, same. I, don't, I think it was a senior by then. I don't know if One they, year. Did he film okay. them back to back and then just I think them he did. Way? I think, and I think, yeah. don't quote me on this, but I think he would have preferred that they be released as a single film. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was obviously something a studio wasn't going to release all that material, um, so they cut it in half and you know did it that way. I, honestly, I think that was a better choice. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's like expecting the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League <laughs> to be out in theaters. Right. Right. Or uh, any of the Lord of the Rings to be well, released un- uncut. Yeah, could you imagine the Lord of the Rings released as a one, oh my God. like one shot? <laughs> so I guess that brings us, we'll uh, we'll get ourselves some sushi and yes. we'll talk about Kill Bill 2 and how Hensu's sushi hasn't gotten any let's, better. Let's do oh, it. yeah. All right, listeners, thanks for being here with us. We are moving over to Kill Bill 2. Grab yourself some sushi, grab yourself some mezcal, and we'll catch you there. Wee, wee.